Lovely to see all of you this morning. If you'd please take out your bulletins, we're going to go over a few announcements of things coming up in the church. Um, first, just a reminder for those of you who are on Facebook and you haven't liked our our uh, official CoSide Facebook page. Just a reminder to do that. We're trying to be more diligent in just keeping you encouraged and up to date on upcoming things. Um, also, a reminder that if you do need prayer anytime throughout the week, we have a prayer at CoSide email that you could send your prayer request to. And we have um, a group of people who are just diligent about praying for you. So you can send your prayer request there. Also, there's a parenting workshop coming up on Thursday the 9th, and that's from 7 to 9 here in this room, and that's through Alma Heights is hosting that. So if you'd like to participate, please take note of the details there. And men's retreat, uh, that also is coming up this month. If you haven't signed up and you still want to go, I think there are still spots, so please sign up online. We have a group of men going, and it should be a really great time. Also, women, your retreat is coming up in April, and we have flyers uh, in the back if you need to pick one up. It's going to be at Alliance Redwoods, and Sharon Akers, for those of you who know Sharon, is very excited to um, be putting this together and having women from Coastside come and hang out with her at Alliance Redwoods. So um, that'll be a really good time, and that's in April 21st through 23rd. And also just wanted to remind the youth that even though it's Super Bowl Sunday, we will still be meeting tonight at 7 o'clock at our house. Hopefully the game will be over by then, and you guys can come on over. And um, we're going to have our offering this morning, so if you would just pray with me. Father, thank you so much for your abundant blessings in our lives. Lord, I pray that you would um, just receive this small portion that we give back and that you would use it to multiply your kingdom. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning, everyone. Sorry for the little feedback there. I want to say a special shout out. Welcome to some new sewers we have here. The guy, that row right there of sewers that are here. So I was just informed by them. If you need your oil change, just bring your car. Oh, wait. No, I'm sorry. Sorry about that. Uh, Kills, kick some lights for me so they can see. I know it's scary, but turn the lights on so they can see me. Um, but yeah, we're glad you guys are here. We really are so thankful that you guys come and do the incredible work that you do. A um, couple things. Just one. Um, uh, just want to encourage those of you. We've been talking about what we're doing with our sermon series. With our sermon series, we're going through First Peter right now, and what we're trying to do is get our whole church to really be on the same page in what we study throughout the week. Also, as we continue to kind of marinate in what we hear on Sunday morning. So there's questions in the back if you want to take them home for your personal usage. But those of you that are in the men's Bible study or the women's Bible study or the Sunday morning class, you will be emailed those by your leader. Um, but I would encourage those of you to pick those up. And if you're not here on a Sunday where you don't, I know most of you know this, but you can listen to the Sunday sermons. Uh, I'm not trying to get myself out there and you know get, get, you, get you to make me famous or anything like that. I just want you to know that you can listen so that you can then in turn really participate in uh, your class and your Bible study. I just want to just help you just do that more instead of throwing, you know, trying, trying to learn so much during the week. Right now we're trying to focus on what God would want us to learn as a church kind of heading in the same direction. So with that, um, just encourage you to get, and those of you that aren't tech savvy, I know we're kind of pushing the tech savvy this this morning, the podcast, the Facebook and all that, but uh, I know you can handle it. Um, let me ask you a question. Have you ever asked yourself, what does it really look like 
to practically live out my Christian faith. What is that supposed to look like, especially in the midst of the struggles that you face? The struggle, how, how do I live out this Christian faith in the midst of the struggles that I face and in this culture that we live in that is so counter to our values? Have you ever asked yourself that? How do I practically on a daily basis, how is that supposed to look? How am I supposed to live? Really, how can you know how to practically live daily as a follower of Jesus, especially in this world? Right now, 2017, how do you keep from being sidetracked? How do you keep from being sidetracked from keeping your eyes only on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith? It's so difficult. What is it that, let me ask you this, what is it that motivates you? What is it that motivates you to continue steadfast in faith when giving up sometimes just seems so much easier? Once again, because of the stuff that we face and just this culture that we live in is so anti who we are. Well, as we continue this morning, our study on through first Peter, the apostle now is what he's going to begin to doing. He's going to begin to transition. You guys, this is why we teach the way we do. We teach expositorily. We teach verse by verse because we really believe that God has something very specific to say. He said he was speaking through these writers to these people at a specific time. And this is timeless words that are for you and I. So what we're seeing this morning is we're seeing the Apostle Peter, now he's transitioning, okay? He's transitioning from helping us to understand who our true identity is as chosen, remember we talked about this, chosen exiles. He's taking us to helping us go from there to helping us how to better now understand how to practically live that out on a daily basis today, especially in the midst of persecution, This church that he was writing to was facing deep persecution. So he was helping them to say, okay, here's who you are as an exile that's chosen. Now he's starting to cruise into an area. How does that look? And we're going to start, you're going to see, he's hit some pretty heavy subjects you're going to see. He's now moving slowly into how should that look on a daily basis. So let's just jump right in. We're going to look at the first verse first, okay? Verse 13 says, therefore, preparing your minds for action And being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So in this verse, the first thing that Peter is telling us, he is telling us to set our hope on future grace. Okay? Remember, he's transitioning from who you are, now here's how to live, here's how to do it. Set your hope on future grace. Now, notice that Peter starts off by saying, therefore. So we know that this is a transition. There's a reason. There's a reason he's saying, therefore. He's moving into a new area. What Peter's doing is he's reaching back into some previous verses and saying that because you've been chosen by God before the beginning of time, according to his plan and his purpose to be his child, and because you have a new citizenship and a new identity. And because, as we saw last week, we have this guaranteed living hope that includes this glorious inheritance this, and genuine faith that comes through the trials that we go through. 
And we also, because of this privilege that we have, remember we saw this privilege that we have of knowing and experiencing what we know and experience now, something that prophets and angels, man, they just longed to know. So he's saying, because of all these things, now he says, do this. Do this. He says, set your hope fully on grace. The grace that will be brought to your tent or revealed when Jesus comes again. So what is this? What is this grace that he is talking about here that will be revealed when Jesus comes again? Well, it's what Peter's been saying all along. It's this living hope that we have, okay? It's a future grace. It's a future grace because the grace of God that we are experiencing now is wonderful and amazing as the grace of God that we experience now is. You guys, this is just a minuscule little taste of what's to come, of the grace that God has for us. One day we will experience our full inheritance as we live in the presence of God, celebrating with him. Where there, remember we saw last week, there's no more tears, no more suffering. That's all going to be gone. That's a part of our future grace. You guys, what Peter's saying is this is where our hope lies. This is where our hope is that we have to live in a world that we don't belong in, that is just not ours. In other words, what he's saying is, Peter's saying, I want you to have an eternal mindset. That's what he's talking about, an eternal mindset. It's seeing our present lives and our present circumstances in the lens of what's to come, okay? Seeing what's going on now in the lens of, okay, something is coming. What Peter's saying here is that one of the big motivators for us to live as Christians, to live out, totally live out our Christian lives now, is this sense of anticipation, okay? It's a sense of anticipation. Does that, does that help? Okay. Anticipation. I mean, think about it. Think about, remember when you were a kid? And your parents uh, said that, hey, they had this trip to Disneyland planned. Or somewhere like that, if there's anything like Disneyland. There's nothing like Disneyland. And they said, you've got this trip to Disneyland and somewhere or somewhere super fun planned for you. How did that impact your life? Think about it. How did that impact your life? You knew you were going to Disneyland. I mean, you were on cloud nine, huh? I mean, there was a spring in your step. You were excited. There was this, I mean, this sense of anticipation alone, knowing that you were going to go to Disneyland was enough to make your life exciting. Struggles, problems, difficulties as a kid that you were dealing with, these all kind of faded to the background, didn't they? I'm going to Disneyland. I mean, you were excited. It was something to look forward to. You couldn't wait to get to Disneyland. Now, as exciting, as exciting and wonderful and great, this future hope that we have in heaven of what we're going to experience, all we're going to have in heaven, Peter knows. He knows that putting our faith in something that's in the future is really difficult and not our, is not natural. It's not natural for us to automatically think, oh, life is really hard right now, but look what's coming. He knows that. 
That's why he's continuing to prepare. He's helping to prepare them here. He knows, especially since the future can seem so far away. We've heard that, oh yeah, things are going to be great in heaven. We're thinking, man, that's a long time from now. I got all these struggles. We want things now. I want things taken care of now. Remember, Peter's preparing them to how to live the life of a Christian life. That's why, that's why Peter's telling us to do something. He knows that it's hard, so he says, okay, I want you to do something, okay? There's something I need you to do that is going to help to have the mindset, this future mindset. He says to prepare your minds for action and be sober-minded. You see it in the verses there, to be sober-minded and prepare for action. This phrase, preparing your minds, actually, in the original language, what it's basically saying is to gird up the loins of your mind. How bizarre of a saying is that? But what we got to do is you picture yourself back in Roman times, the old times, they would, they would, what happened is a guy would have a long robe, and to gird it up, what he would do is he would stick it in his belt, so that, he wouldn't, so that he wouldn't trip. He would tuck it in. So he'd be free to move. It's, really like our, it's kind of like our modern day rolling up your sleeves. That's what he's saying. Roll up your sleeves because you are about to get to work. And you don't want anything to get in the way of you, you know, the work that you're going to do. And to be sober-minded, this is that idea of, of a mind that isn't intoxicated, okay? A mind, because intoxication, we know that intoxication, it impairs the ability to make sharp and rational decisions. So what Peter is saying here is that we need to be alert. We need to be focused. We need to be ready to recognize when our focus is no longer on our future hope, but just on our circumstances. You got to be ready. It's not natural. It's going to be hard. You've got to be ready. Roll up your sleeves. It's like driving. You know, when, when you're alert and you're focused when you're driving, it's, it's, you're, you're better off at actually to avoid some dangerous situations probably. If you're alert, you're thinking. But you've done, how, how many of us have done it before? I've been distracted or something like that, and you find you've been veering off to the side. Whoa, I'm sorry about that. Or when other people are doing that. You know, you go, what's this guy's problem? He's veering into my lane. Things like that. When we're distracted or when people are driving and they're intoxicated, why do you think that's such a huge uh, problem these days? Because they know they won't be focused. Their focus will not be on driving. It'll be somewhere else. The same thing. That's what Peter is trying to get at here. I don't know about you, but when I'm faced with difficult situations, my first inclination is not to put my focus on my future hope. It's to put my focus on that problem, right? Right? I know I'm the only one here that deals with this, but for me, just speaking about me, when a problem comes, I'm all over that problem. I'm all on it. I'm going to fix it. I'm going to worry about it. I'm going to be anxious about it. That's where my life is. This is what Peter's trying to tell them. He's trying to prepare them to live the kind of life that they need to live with all this persecution and being these exiles. How do we do it? Keep your mind sharp, he's saying. What Peter is encouraging his readers and us to do is to fight the battle in our minds, to keep them focused on things of heaven. Because these things are, remember we saw last week, they're guaranteed. 
Remember we saw it? They don't fade away. They don't rot. They don't spoil. These things that have been promised to us, promised to us are guaranteed. Look at Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. You all know this verse if you've been around church for a while. Finally, brother, sister, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, what? Think about such things. More specifically, think about things like salvation, victory over sin, God's presence. This is that future grace stuff. Praise. How about that fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. These are heavenly things to put our minds on. That's what he's saying. You got to get your mind right first before you can figure out how to live. The cool thing is all these things we experience now, but only, like I said, in a minuscule way. One day, all these things will be perfect, perfect love, perfect joy, perfect peace. That's what he's saying to put your mind on. Not the peace that you're experiencing right now because you're struggling with that peace. The future peace. Focus on that. It's, it says the Apostle Paul says in Colossians, look at this, Colossians 3, 1 through 4 says, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on the things that are on the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden in, with Christ in God, with Christ in God. When Christ, who is, is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. This is that glory, that future thing he's talking about. I love how Eugene Peterson, I quoted him last week. I'm going to do it again this week. Eugene Peterson has the message translation of this very same verse. I love what he says. He says, pursue the things over which Christ presides. Don't shuffle along, eyes to the ground, absorb the things right in front of you. Look up. And be alert to what is going on around Christ. That's where the action is. See things from his perspective. What a great way of putting that. I want to encourage you this week, when you're tempted to be discouraged, when you're tempted to be anxious, when that happens this week, I want to encourage you to flip that switch in your mind and begin focusing on future grace because that is where our hope lies. I know this is so counterintuitive in so many ways, especially to the way we think. This is what Peter's saying. Before I tell you how to live, you've got to have this mindset. You've got to learn to start having an eternal mindset. Okay, Peter goes on. In this next section, Peter now shifts from to encouraging and urging these readers to live in a certain way. He said, okay, now that you're heading that, you're, you're, your head's got to be in the game first. And this is where people get tripped up. They say, oh, it's about doing this, about doing that. No, it's about getting your head right. It's in our mind. That's where the battles are, right? The battles are in the mind. He's saying, get that right first. Now, let, remember I told you this, is all, this whole passage is all about a process of moving. Now he's saying, Live in a way that reflects this hope that you have, this eternal hope. How should, what should, how should we live? He's going to tell us right now. Verses 14 to 17 say this. 
as obedient children, do not conform to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. All right, so what Peter's telling us to do here in order to practically live out our faith is to live a life of holiness. He's saying live a life of holiness. The result of putting our hope, okay, in this future grace is holy living. So we always feel like I could never be who God wants me to be. It's because our mind's not right. This is where the exercise, some of you like to go to the gym. I work out a lot, as you can tell. Well, no, I work out cardio. I have to do a lot of cardio. It's work, I have to do that. What he's saying is, as you work out, as you start to flex that muscle of having hope in, the, in this future grace, it's gonna translate into living a holy life, okay? Verse 14, 14 says, as a result of being obedient children, I love this, it says we no longer conform to the passions, or in some of your Bibles it says, the evil desires of this world. 1 John chapter 2, verse 16 says, for all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. Think about that verse for a second. That pretty much covers it, doesn't it? That verse really does. Desires of the flesh, the things that we just feel like we have to have, cravings, desires of the eyes, things we see and that we want, and the pride of life, it's about me. That's not from God, that's the world we live in. This is the world that Peter's talking about. This is why it's so hard to live out your faith. This is why we're talking about this stuff, he says. He says we conform to those passions. Check this out. Out of what? Out of ignorance. We conform out of ignorance. In his book, um, Generation X Christian, um, about younger Christians leaving Christianity. This one author, um, Drew Dykes, he, he relates one interview that he had with a young man. This is a young man who left Christianity in order to join the Wicca religion. After talking to this guy, here's what the guy said. He said, ultimately, why I left is that the Christian God demands that you submit to his will. In Wicca, it's just the other way around. Your, your will is paramount. We believe in gods and goddesses, but the deities we, deities we choose to serve are based on our will. That is what Peter is talking about. Now, most of us are probably not going to leave Christianity and go join Wicca, but really, the, the principle applies here. The passions of this world, the passions for the things of this world, it's like serving our own will. We always, we always demonize or say, oh, those people believe that, how they could be so bad, or, or that's so bad. You know what? It's all about our own will and wanting that so bad. That's what it is. Satanism, the book of Satan, all that stuff. I've heard about all that stuff and read something about it. That's all about just selfishness and your own will. That's, it's not necessarily about demons and all that. And they'll tell you that. It's about selfish will. It's about me, 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 fulfill my needs. This is what Peter is saying. This is the kind of ignorance he's talking about. This is ignorance. Instead of conforming to the passions of our former life or a lifestyle of the world, Peter tells us to be Holy. 
Now, I don't know about you, but when I think, when, when early on in my Christian life, and I actually had a, a conversation with a friend of mine who was a Christian who really struggled with this whole thing that talked about we're supposed to be holy as he is holy. He really struggled with that. But the reality is what it means to be, what it means to be holy, because we, we, we think it means to be perfect or close to, per, close to perfect. But what holy actually means is to be set apart from sin for God. Set apart from the sin. Set apart from those things. The things in the Old Testament, the tabernacle, the temple that they used, these, they had things that were set apart. Like they even had tongs and forks that were holy. Now, did they act perfect? No. They were set apart from other things for God. That's what being holy means. Set apart from sin. It means that our thinking and behavior is conformed to God's character. Being a true follower of Jesus means that we conform to God's standard and not the standard of the world around us. And we're going to get a lot of the standard of the world around us in the form of commercials today at a show that we're going to watch. Some will be fun and some will be great and they'll be fine. But the reality is a lot of what we're going to hear and what we see and what we just around us is the world's way. Uh, it's unholy. Okay? Unholy. What, this, what Peter's calling us to is to a life, to, to live a different lifestyle, to live differently than we ever did before, either before we are Christians or the way the world is now. Look at Romans chapter 2. You know this is a, chapter 12. You know this verse also if you've been around. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the ruining of your, here's that word again, your what? Your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, what is acceptable, and what is perfect. That is the life that we are called to as believers. We can't just pick and choose what we want to obey and what we don't want to obey. This is one of the biggest problems with Western Christianity right now. We want to pick and choose what fits what works for us, what fits my desires. Okay, that really makes sense. It's like, you know, your kids. Say if your kids were saying to you, okay, I'm, I'm good with eating the veggies. I'll, I'll eat vegetables, but I'm not doing those chores. I'm not doing chores, nah. Or I'm not talking about, I'm, the talking back thing, I'm still gonna be doing that. But I'll eat the vegetables. You know, I'll, I'll do my homework. That's fine, I'll do my homework. But going to bed, <laughs> I'm gonna do that whenever I please. I'm just gonna... No. What if our own kids did that? No, we, we let them do that? No way. We would not do that. God requires our total and full obedience. Yet here's the cool thing about that. And this is where people say, oh, I, can't, I can't be with a God like that. Here's why we're with a God like that. Because we do it out of love. I don't do, we don't obey because I'm like, oh, I better do it, or he's got that stick he's waiting to hit me with, or he's going to you know, make me feel terrible. No, we, doubt it. we do it out of love and devotion. You see, religion says, if I obey God, then he'll love me. If I obey God, then he'll love me. That's religion. The gospel says, I am loved, and I am accepted, therefore, I want to obey. That's the big difference. And that's the world doesn't see that. And that's the message that we have. You can love and you can serve and you can be 100% obedient to a God that loves you. And it's not bondage. It's actually freedom. 
It's wonderful because we love him and adore him. Peter wants his readers to recognize that because of this hope that they have, they have motivation now to live a lie, to live in obedience to God. They have motivation now to live a holy life. Let me ask you, can you identify areas maybe in your life where maybe you've become a little bit sloppy in this area of obedience? I sure can. They glare at me. I mean, have you compromised in some different areas of, of purity or gossip or demanding comfort in lieu of being obedient? Whatever it might be, that's our natural tendency to go that way. You see, obedience is worship. It's an expression of our worshiping the one that we love. It's not out of, okay, I better, or whack. It's not that at all. But we forget that, don't we? Sometimes you forget that obedience is because we love him. I want to obey. I want to stop doing that, or I want to start doing that because I love him. If you're feeling like you have to do it because, oh, I better do it so he'll start to love me, then you're not seeing it how God wants you to see it. God loves you way more than that to make you obedient like that. That's not what it's about. Now, verse 17, in verse 17, Peter tells us that the Father God is an impartial judge. This means that God judges everybody equally and fairly. Now, the judging that Peter is referring to, it's not this judging whether that we're good or not, good or not, that we're our standing with him is, oh, I'm ju- I don't know, I'm going to have to pull back from you a bit. That's not what he's talking about. It's not a judging whether our standing with him is any good. We've already seen the first couple sermons we talked about, we've already seen that we've been chosen by God. Remember? Before the foundation of the earth, we are chosen by, from his, by his plan, his, for his purposes, to be his child. Our sins have been forgiven, and we have this glorious inheritance that can't be taken away from us. It's promised. It's not going to fade away. So that's not how God's going to judge us. This is talking about God judging us in a way that helps us to see where we're veering off course. Okay? God judges us to help us see where we're veering from the truth and where we're remaining steadfast. Okay? He helps us to understand, oh, I'm getting off the path. Oh, and he's not doing it like this. Get back on the path. His judgment is out of love. In lieu of this incredible loving judgment, it says we're to live and conduct ourselves, check this out, you know what it says? With fear. Isn't that wild? Because of this, because his judgment is loving and it's to help us to see where we're veering off. We're to conduct ourselves in fear. Now, this word fear, it's the same word that we get the word phobia from. Isn't that wild? Isn't that weird? You think, what, we're supposed to fear God like that? Because it denotes this idea of fear and dread and being scared. But this word also has a very strong connotation of, of reverence. And respect. I think maybe even some of your versions, it even says reverent fear, maybe. That's what this fear is like, okay? It's having respect for a loving father's discipline to, to correct us and to refine us in order to make us holy. It's also, though, I really believe, it's also a fear of disappointing the one that we love. It's like me and my relationship with my father growing up. Uh, my father was a good, loving 
father. He was a good dad, and I loved him, and I had a healthy respect for him, and I wanted, and I really did want to please him until high school came around then, you know. All bets were off in high school. Uh, But as a child, I really wanted to please my father. I knew, though, if I were to disobey him, not only would I disappoint him, but he would discipline me because he loved me and wanted me to be the best I could possibly be. You see, our desire to obey our loving heavenly father should motivate us It should be the very thing that motivates us to live holy lives, to live lives of holiness, lives that are set apart for God and from the standards of this world. All right, let's look at the last section here. In verses 18 to 21, this is the third way that Peter tells us to practically live our daily lives. He says, to remember the cost of your redemption. Remember the cost of your redemption. Let's read that. Knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Well, Peter is telling his readers here that we are ransomed. We're ransomed from the former way of living and thinking. Now, this word ransom is, or read some of your versions say redeemed, is, it means that we were released, okay? We were released or liberated from something by a payment. A payment was made, and we were actually released from that. What Peter is saying that is here is before coming to Jesus, and I know this is strong, but before coming to Jesus, a person really has no hope of escaping what he calls a feudal an empty way of life. It's a life that is based on what our culture and what our society claims is true success or here's how you find joy. Here's where you will find peace and fulfillment. The Apostle Paul probably said it best in uh, Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 and 9, after listing off all of his incredible religious accomplishments, all the top dog. He was the number one guy in religious circles. He says this, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I I have suffered the loss of all things and count them rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. As followers of Jesus, you and I have been ransomed or we've been released or we've been liberated from the tyranny of finding our purpose and fulfillment in what our flesh or what this world says needs where we need to find it. You ask any adult that comes to Christ, in their adult life, and they will tell you 
they will look back at much of their former life and they will tell you that was not good the way I was living. That is, I was ransomed. That was futile thinking. They will tell you that because it's right in that they've lived that life. That's why so many people are afraid of coming to Christ in so many ways. They feel like, what's God going to do? But they don't see that God is going to help them see that that was futile. And now it's amazing what we have. The cool thing he says here, it wasn't this mountain of cash. It wasn't a mountain of gold or silver or things like that that paid for our ransom. But the precious and costly blood of the spotless lamb. What a perfect timing to be doing communion today. Perfect timing. He's saying this precious blood, it was costly, okay? It was an incredibly perfect sacrifice because Jesus was perfect and sinless. That's why it would cost so much. The price was paid to free us from the bondage of sin and death. And that price was extremely high. And what Peter's saying here is, don't forget it. Whatever you do, don't forget how incredibly costly that ransom was that was paid for you. Don't ever forget it. So how are we to practically live our daily lives as followers of Jesus, especially in this world where we just don't belong. We don't share the same values. How are we supposed to live? How do we keep from being sidetracked, from keeping our eyes on Jesus? How do we keep from doing that? We've just seen three things. First, we set our hope on future grace as we focus our minds on what is in store for us when Jesus comes, that future grace focus. Second thing, we live a life of holiness as we are obedient to God and learn to conform our thinking and our behavior to his character, not out of duty or not out of obligation, but because of our love and our reverence and our respect for our heavenly father. And the third thing, we remember the cost of our redemption that was paid by Christ's own blood that ransomed or liberated us from a futile and empty way of life. I want to end this morning by reading you a poem. Uh, John Piper, in his book, Future Grace, has this poem written in there. It says this. And as I knelt beside the brook to drink eternal life, I took a glance across the golden grass. I knelt to drink and knew that I was on the brink of endless joy. The lame can walk, the deaf can hear, the cancer-ridden bone is clear, arthritic joints are lithe and free, and every pain has ceased to be, and every sorrow deep within, and every trace of lingering sin is gone, and all that's left is joy, and endless ages to employ. The mind and heart and understand the love of the sovereign Lord who planned that it should take eternity to lavish all his grace on me. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for just great 
great instruction on how to focus our minds on this eternal future grace. God, I pray for myself, my friends here, that you would help us to understand how to turn our focus when we are struggling with our difficult circumstances or we're anxious, that we will be able to learn to flip that switch to begin to think of this future grace that we are even beginning to we experience much of it now. The taste of it that we have and your goodness and your faithfulness that will one day be perfected. Help us to see that, God, so that we can in turn live holy lives, pleasing to you, our loving Heavenly Father who loves us so much. And thank you, Jesus, for the incredible sacrifice um, that was made for our sin. And Father God, as we celebrate your table now, God, as we celebrate communion and what that represents, God, may you continue to help us to see how wonderful and glorious you are and our deep, deep need of you. In your son's name we pray, amen. Okay, the ushers are going to come forward. Thank you for being here. (laughs) Ushers are going to come forward. We're going to take communion this morning. Uh, Ushers are just going to pass out the bread. And as they pass that out, Marsha will be playing. And just going to encourage you to take this time uh, as you're just hold the bread, to spend some time praying and thinking about these things, thinking about that that future grace. I know it's a a concept that's foreign. I got to tell you, um, I probably poured more hours into this week's sermon that I have in, a, in most sermons, mainly because I just felt like this was a hard thing to grasp for me personally, a future grace putting, cause I've never, I'm not, I'm, I'm a here and now kind of guy, but I think this is so important. I think God is trying to tell us something to debate, thinking about future grace and how important that is. And I want you to do that as you hold the bread this morning, I want you to be thinking about the sacrifice that was made so that we could actually even have this future grace, that we could be rescued, rescued from a futile, futile life. Go ahead, guys. You know, communion is something that we do often, and I, I love the fact that the whole idea is remembrance. The whole idea is to remember. When Jesus, on that night he was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it, and he told his disciples, when you eat this, do this in remembrance. He said, to remember what I did. Once again, in the mind, remember what I did. Because that's where our hope lies in what he did that gives us now a future grace and hope. Let's see. Encourage you as you take the juice. Continue in that same vein. Continue to be thinking about that future grace that we have because of Jesus and the shedding of his blood. The incredibly costly. This represents that blood that was shed for us that we're supposed to remember, constantly remember how costly and wonderful it was not only for the collective group of us believers, but for you, you individually, blood was shed. We drink this in remembrance of Jesus.
I love how Jesus said, as often as you eat and drink and you do this, you proclaim, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Death isn't something we like to talk about, but the Lord's death is what gives us hope to not only make, we're not here just to make it through, we have an impact and to live holy lives, to overcome and live in this life together, struggling through it together, but with Jesus together. Father God, thank you that today we've just been given a great reminder of how good you are. We live in a world that is full of pain. We have our own issues that we know we struggle with, our own things that we feel like that hold us back. But you said, God, that in our weakness, we are then strong because of not our overcoming power, because of Jesus and what he did on that cross by dying for us, God. So we're so thankful. May we, leave, may we be people of hope. May we be people that can live holy lives, not because we're perfect, but because we are constantly striving to give our wills over to you and live for you, God. Thanks that you meet us in the midst of our failure, in the midst of our struggles, that you love us so much. In your son's name we pray, amen.